Welcome to Travels in a Mathematical World, a podcast from the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications, the IMA. This is episode 8. Excluding 1, for which the case is trivial, 8 is the smallest number which is equal to the sum of the digits of its cube. My name is Peter Oz, I'm here at the University of Nottingham with Sarah Shepherd, who is a PhD student at Nottingham and also editor of I Squared magazine. The, the Telegraph recently reported that Stephen Hawking is to retire from the position of Lucasian Professor of Mathematics at Cambridge University. The Lucasian Chair is probably the most famous academic chair in the world. It was first held by Isaac Barrow, starting from 1664. He played an early role in the development of calculus, and his student, Sir Isaac Newton, took up the post after him. Other famous holders of the post include Charles Babbage, who was the first to come up with the idea of a programmable computer, Sir George Stoke, who made important contributions to fluid dynamics, and Sir James Lighthill, another renowned fluid dynamicist. It's university policy for Lucasian professors to retire when they reach the age of 67, and Hawking will have held the position for 30 years when he retires in October next year. He's a leading expert in the field of theoretical cosmology and quantum gravity, and he's also written several popular science books, including A Brief History of Time, which has sold over 9 million copies. He will continue his work at Cambridge University under the honorary title of Emeritus Lucasian Professor of Mathematics, and the university are now advertising for a new professor for the post. So get your applications in there. (laughs) So I saw a question in the Doctor Work column in The Guardian in which people write in and have their careers questions answered. Um, The questioner says, I recently graduated with a first in mathematics. People keep telling me there are loads of areas I could go into, but no one seems to be able to tell me what they are. I'm considering IT consultancy, and I know I certainly don't want to go into teaching or anything financial. What are the areas might I enjoy and be suitable for? And where can I go for some good careers advice? Okay, so this is similar to what a lot of students ask me. And I always say, I always tell people there's nothing wrong with finance jobs or teaching, uh, but these aren't, these aren't options for everyone. The answer to the question in The Guardian talks about how maths graduates are rare and valuable and mentions some defence and cryptography related jobs. It says there's a whole swathe of jobs where maths is not asked for, but where the skills of a mathematician are a great value. Recruiters will be easily persuaded that you are logical, with a talent for solving complex problems and an ability to communicate in a clear and unambiguous way. Your degree will have taught you how to undertake thorough research and honed your data handling and interpretation skills. That combination makes you a strong candidate for so many jobs that it leads to the unhelpful truth that there are loads of areas you could go into. Which of those you'd enjoy is a question only you can answer. The other part of the question was, where can I go for some good careers advice? And the columnist in The Guardian recommends the University Careers Service. I hope listeners to the podcast are also aware that the place to go for good careers advice and profiles of practicing mathematicians is the Maths Careers website at www.mathscareers.org.uk. So I have some more news about university professorships. In December this year, the mathematician Marcus de Sotoy 
will take up Oxford University's prestigious Simonyi Professorship for the Public Understanding of Science. The Guardian's article about this is titled Popular Face of Math to Succeed Godless Dorking, which is a reference to the previous holder of the post, evolutionary biologist Richard Dorking, who is an outspoken atheist. When asked about this, de Sotoy said, I'm bracing myself for everyone asking me if I believe in God or not. I understand Richard's point. There were great fears about the power of the intelligent design movement in America, but my focus is mainly on trying to excite people about science, why I do it, and how it impacts on your life. So the position is focused on communicating science to a general audience, um, a post which de Sotoy is an ideal choice for, since he's an energetic popularizer of maths and now well known to many. He presented the Royal Institution Christmas Lectures in 2006 and his TV series The Story of Math was recently aired on BBC4. He also contributes regularly to national newspapers and frequently appears on the radio. The Simonyi chair was set up in 1995 by the computer scientist Charles Simonyi, who was Microsoft's chief software architect until 1991. While we're talking about the BBC... You may have seen this month that uh, the BBC Breakfast programme ran a feature on Maths Inspiration. Maths Inspiration run a series of maths events in theatres around the country aimed at sixth formers and year 11s. It was great to see on the, on the BBC such a positive news story and positively handled. There was no talks of boffins or geeks or anything like that. You can view the BBC feature online in which... Colin Wright, who gives a talk on the mathematics of juggling, and Helen Joyce, who's educational correspondent for The Economist, uh, talk about the shows and about mathematics. I'll put the link in the show notes, and you can get more information on the Maths Inspiration shows and book your place for any that aren't already sold out at www.mathsinspiration.com. Also on the BBC this month, I was quite pleased to see Maths getting a mention on the Children in Need special of QI, which featured a question on Bertrand Russell's work on Principia Mathematica, and particularly the proof that 1 plus 1 equals 2. Although a lot of the discussion was frivolous, it did contain some nice comments. The proof was described as an extraordinary achievement, and Stephen Fry described Russell as a remarkable man and one of the greatest and most towering intellectual heroes you could ever worship. And it contained a wonderful rant from David Mitchell on the subject of proving 1 plus 1 equals 2, which covered some of the aspects of mathematics being everywhere in modern life. Uh, you can, of course, make a donation to Children in Need by visiting bbc.co.uk slash pudsey slash donate. Now I have an article from The Guardian um, about Bletchley Park, which most people have probably heard of. Bletchley Park was the location of Britain's main code-breaking establishment during World War II and it's famous for its role in breaking the German Enigma Code, a feat which helped Britain to win the war. Bletchley Park is now open to the public as a museum, but over the last decade it's fallen into disrepair and it needs urgent work if it is to be saved for posterity. Since last year, academics have been campaigning for funds to help restore the building, which is a Grade II listed mansion and is of great historical importance. And now the English Heritage have offered a... £330,000 grant to help secure the future of the estate. They said, English Heritage is committed to saving this fascinating group of buildings so that future generations can understand something of the enormous human endeavour which went on there.
The Bletchley Park Trust has welcomed the announcement, saying that it marks the start of a regeneration initiative to transform Bletchley Park into a world-class heritage and education centre. The Trust is now calling for further donations from other individuals and organisations so that they can restore the wooden huts where the cryptanalysts worked during the war. I think that's really good news. I think Bletchley Park is an interesting story. They say it shortened the war by two years, the work-breaking enigma at Bletchley Park. I think it's incredible what they did at Bletchley Park and the fact that nobody knew about it yeah. after the war, did they? There was the, is it the 30-year rule. Uh, it was kept as, as yeah, government I mean, not, secrets. Everything's still not completely... Right. Um, but nobody knew anything at all until about the 70s. Yeah. And it's incredible to have gone through that experience and made this towering intellectual achievement and then not be able to tell anyone about it for yeah, 30 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. My granddad actually went for a job interview there. Oh, yeah. Because um, they were trying to recruit Chris Hamlis and he obviously wasn't up to the, hmm. the job, but... And it, when was that then? Well, in the war. In the war. Because yeah. it was it. I suppose they didn't tell you where it was, but you knew that something no, was going on. No, he didn't know where it was. So yeah. I don't know if they. He didn't know where he was going. I think they blindfolded him or something. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> and he didn't. He didn't realise until later on he'd seen pictures of it. Right. And he was like, oh, that's where I went. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the point. It was like a house in the middle of nowhere where the Germans wouldn't know to bomb it. Okay, I was contacted recently by the Further Maths Network. Uh, the Further Maths Network and Rolls-Royce PLC have announced a poster competition for undergraduates or PGCHE mathematics students, individually or in groups. The poster should convey, it says, the essence of a mathematical topic that has been covered at university by the designer or designers, but convey that to school and college students studying AS or A-level mathematics. There will award a prize of £100 to each of two winning posters, and the winning posters will be printed and sent to potentially over 2,000 schools and colleges uh, with your name on it. The closing date is the 31st of March 2009, and more information can be found at the Further Maths Network website at www.fmnetwork.org.uk if you click on Student Area on the left-hand side. Um, I saw an article in The Observer at the weekend um, which was an extract from a new book, which is by the journalist and author Malcolm Gladwell. The book's called Outliers, The Story of Success, and it explores what makes highly d successful people different from everyone else. So how can we explain the careers of extraordinary people like Mozart, Einstein, the Beatles and Bill Gates? Now in the extract that was in The Observer, Gladwell suggests a reason why Asian children are better at maths than Western children. The idea is that it's due to the difference in how um, the number naming systems are constructed in different languages. So in English, the system is very irregular. So we say 16, 17, 18, but then we, instead of saying 15, we say 15. And Instead of saying one teen or two teen, we say 11 and 12. After 20, it changes all over again, so 21, 22. Instead of maybe 2, 1 or 2, 2, which might be more logical. In China, Japan and Korea, the counting systems are much more logical. So for 11, they say 10, 1, and for 12, they say 10, 2. And this makes it much easier for Asian children to perform basic arithmetic so whereas English 
Asian-speaking children first had to convert the words to numbers and then do the calculation, Asian children already had the equation embedded in their language. So, for example, in English, if you want to add 37 to 22, you first have to think what these words translate to in numbers. But in Asian languages, you just have to add 3 tens 7 to 2 tens 2, which is quite easy. It's 5 tens 9. So Gradwell argues that this gives Asian children a head start on their Western counterparts and that therefore they're less likely to become baffled by mathematics early on. The book is published by Alan Lane and is out on November the 27th. This month I attended the 9th Younger Mathematicians Conference, uh, which is put on by the Younger Members Group of the IMA. Uh, the Younger Mathematicians Conferences attract mathematicians under 35, and to be honest a few over 35, from around the UK who are studying and working in university schools and in many sectors of industry. This time the conference heard from mathematicians working in mathematical finance and topics such as the maths of Google, the restoration of Cutty Sark and much more. And it was a great opportunity for mathematics students and early career mathematicians to get together and meet others in similar situations. I've met several undergraduates at Younger Mathematicians Conferences in 2008. The 2009 Younger Mathematicians Conferences will be on Saturday the 16th of May 2009 in Oxford and Saturday the 14th of November 2009 in Birmingham. More information on the IMA website. Okay, so we'll put links to all of today's stories on the show notes for the podcast. You can get access to that and find out more about the podcast at www.travelsinamathematicalworld.co.uk. Thank you for listening.